So longtime friend and guest Jacob Torbeck says, is this Roxette thing, meaning the closing title song, a permanent fixture? Good choice. And that's really nice to say. That is nice to say. And Roxette's great. But the email doesn't stop there. And then he says, also, I have to say that I miss the old intro style a bit. I wonder if there's any way to do a legal intro over this music now that you know you have official people listening or something similar. And then he links to the instrumental transformation theme from the new show. And he goes on to say, the thing I hate most is cold opens. I hope you never make me a part of your cold open. I would just die if I'm in your cold open. Sincerely, Jacob. Um, Let me speak to this for a second. So... It's possible that the cold open thing doesn't work. I'm fascinated with changing the form of the show every so often. And I like that the new Shira did cold open. So I thought we'd try it. Obviously, Jacob doesn't like it. I apologize if other people out there don't like it. I also don't know that in this new format, we need to have a super expository intro. How do you feel about that? Well, what I feel is that uh, we know that our friend Jacob is an educator, and I really appreciate the fact that he opened with a compliment. He gave us positive reinforcement at first to really boost us up and reassure us that we're doing an okay job before he tore us down. So great teaching strategy, Jacob. But I I did, I want to play with this idea that we should record our classic style intro of like, I'm Eric, I'm Lauren, over the new transformation music. This is 26 seconds long. And so Lauren, to start the episode, I want to play a game with you. Okay. I want to try to make an old style expository intro in 26 seconds. So I'm going to hit play on this video. Wait, I don't even remember what our old intro was like. It was so long ago. Well, so just start stating facts. It's like an improv game. I'll start and you follow. All right, I'm going to start the video. We have 26 seconds starting now. I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. This is a podcast about She-Ra. The new Netflix version of She-Ra, as well as the old version of She-Ra. We still talk about politics, but sometimes we also bring in people who don't have much to say about politics. Yeah, sometimes we just bring in big fans of She-Ra. I'm going to Tennessee this weekend for the holidays. And that's the perfect ending. We did it. New show intro achieved. I hope you all liked it. So, Lauren, what are we doing today? <laughs> We've already introduced ourselves, so we don't need to go through that part. I hope we record a different intro. That's what I hope. No, that one was fine. <laughs> uh, so today is our holiday special slash holiday break. It's a little more loosey-goosey than our other episodes. There's no one else in the studio with us today. No special guests, just your old faves, Lauren and Eric. The special people is everyone listening. Yeah, so if you have tweeted at us or written us a letter, uh, you might be in this episode as a sort of... Uh, written or verbal guest because this is the mailbag episode if you've tweeted at your favorite she-ra podcast you might be in this episode ah this is a great time to point out that you are in fact back on twitter i am back on twitter thanks for reminding me yeah so some news about me i recently became one of the head producers of the chicago chapter of mortified which you may be familiar with it's a podcast on radiotopia as well as a netflix show and the um, guys who are in charge of Mortified in L.A. kind of point out to me that like, hey, there are good avenues for asking celebrities to do your show and Twitter is one of them. And so they kind of encouraged me to get back on. And so I'm back on at Eric C. Garneau. That's E-R-I-C-C-G-A-R-N-E-A-U. 
I'm mostly there to be nice to celebrities. It says so in my bio. But you can uh, follow me if you want. I already tweeted some fire facts about the gin blossoms, so you know it's for real. Right, and he absolutely means it when he says he's there to talk to celebrities because talking to me or any of you was not good enough. It took the celebrity thing to bring him back at all. Uh, No, hold on. (laughs) I talk to Lauren all the time. This is not... We're not faking this we're really in the same room having a conversation you did like my tweet earlier today when i said i often sit around fantasizing about owning a pet goat which is true well i think that um societal expectations of motherhood are overblown and societal expectations for women owning goats are in fact quite underblown and i'm happy to see a voice for the latter societal expectations for what goats are actually like are also quite skewed they're often portrayed in media and cartoons as idiot animals that eat garbage but in reality they're very smart they know their names and can come when you call their names and there's a reason that goat stands for greatest of all time there's a reason god named them that (laughs) so we're already off to a a great smashing start here the whole episode's gonna be like this and so we hope you like it but i'll at least make an effort to bring it back to shira so speaking of twitter uh earlier this month uh december 7th to be exact Netflix had an hour-long promotion uh, where people could use the hashtag AskCatra and ask questions of Catra. And I'm going to assume that because this was sponsored and executed by Netflix, that everything we learned from this promotion was super duper totally canon and is now part of the real She-Ra universe. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think it is too. I'm not joking. And so the things that we learned from Ask Catra earlier this month. Number one, Catra does not know what a cat is. That's weird because Scorpia calls her kitty. Yeah, you know, I thought of that too. And so maybe Scorpia knows what a cat is. But Catra doesn't. They must not teach about cute animals in the horde. No, you couldn't because I think you'd really start questioning everything if you realized like the world outside was so beautiful and good as to provide kittens and puppies. Probably true. Uh, Also, Catra doesn't know what a family is. I know. Isn't that sad? That is sad. Uh, So the suit that Catra wears in the episode Princess Prom was created for her by Horde Research and Development. It is actually like a Horde distributed uniform. I love that suit. And I think we might get to talk to someone who had some say in that suit later. Fingers crossed. Speaking of Princess Prom... The Fright Zone has a training sim where you can learn how to dance. Do you think it's Dance Dance Revolution? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Although Catra's moves were a little more advanced than DDR. Well, consider that the revolution is what the rebellion is fighting for. So really, it would be more like Dance Dance Fascism. Dance Dance Anti-Revolution? <laughs> dance Dance Totalitarianism. <laughs> Coming to an arcade DDT. near you. It's deadly. No, we already have that acronym for something else. Uh, finally, uh, one of the Twitter users asked Katra about her people and her potential princesshood. And I'm not sure we've gotten the opportunity to talk about this on our podcast. But if I were to write an episode of Shira myself, it would absolutely be Katra's background story. So near the end of the series, spoiler alert, We see a bunch of silhouettes of princesses of power in different colors, and several of them are characters we haven't discovered yet on this show and won't this season. There's a bunch of fan talk about the fact that an orange silhouette appears to be some sort of cat princess. 
I don't want to believe that Catra's a princess. I think that's too simple. I would like to believe that uh, in a future season, someone maybe in her lineage is the princess. The episode I would write would involve the the, pr- the current princess of her people dying or disappearing and Catra being offered the role of princess and all of the powers that she resents in princesses, she could actually be given them. That sort of inclusivity and life could be bestowed upon her and she has to decide whether or not she'd like to be the princess of the cat people. In the episode I write, she would say no. I'm, I like that you bring that up because I kind of fancifully alluded to the fact that I would like to write an episode of the new show. And I don't know what that would be because it's so serialized. I feel like it's very intricately plotted. I'm you know, sure I'm sure it's already all written. Right. Much to its strength. But if, if in Fantasyland I did get to write an episode, I think I would want to write the Lookie episode. And the I think Lookie episode. I w- yeah, I'd write an episode, a standalone one shot where there really is a, a conceal and it's Lucky, and Lucky's just hiding, and I would want Lucky voiced by a cool comedian. Let's just start with like a Paul F. Tompkins type character and workshop it from there. <laughs> this is my dream episode, the comedy episode. So if DreamWorks wants to call either of us, two great ideas just right here. I mean, one of them was great. Lawrence needs a little work. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love yours. So let's let's talk about um, our guests who aren't in the room tonight. The the ghosts of folks who have tweeted at that's how Twitter works, right? It's ghost. Right. If you if you add us, us. you're a ghost. Yeah. So um, Lauren, I'm going to let you lead this because you made a lovely printout, and I think we're going to go from lighthearted to um, more serious. It looks like. Yeah, that's true. Only because I copy pasted the tweets and then the full-length emails and anyone who took the time to write us a full-length email they have stuff with more gravitas to say so that just sort of happened by default thank you to all of our listeners who have written to us Um, I can't necessarily promise that we'll do this again but we read every one of your tweets and every one of your letters and I want to put as many of them into the show in the future as possible. Or maybe we'll only do this because who knows when season two of Princesses of Power premieres. That's true. We don't know when there's going to be more Netflix. So we'll just sit and talk about you guys for a while. That sounds awesome. Anyway, uh, Mr. DVD Jim Ryan from Twitter says, I just found the podcast the other day. This is the podcast that I wanted but didn't think would exist. Thank you so much for the show. Can't wait for the next episode. Uh, So warning, a lot of this is just people saying nice things about us, but I'm hoping we can actually respond in a way that's meaningful. And what I love about this tweet is that I think that's why Eric made this show. I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the podcast you wanted to listen to and didn't exist. So you and Mr. DVD Jim Ryan share a lot of thoughts well yeah i think ryan ferguson from a couple episodes ago had uh said something similar to us which is like it's almost unbelievable that this show didn't exist like even two years ago you know um society was in the process of getting more woke and the nostalgia wave has been so preeminent and yet no one else with one exception who you'll hear on the next episode was even in this headspace with she which blows my mind because it seems so in the forefront so 
I searched, I searched everywhere and no one uh, had done a show about this. There was like maybe an article on Bustle. And so I'm like, yeah, this is rich uh, material, especially with a co-host as great as Lauren. Hey, that's so gross. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for that tweet, Mr. DVD Jim Ryan. You tweeted it a while ago and we hope you're still enjoying Andres Lozano asks us a question. He says, uh, this is great timing because we actually are just at this point completely coincidentally in the episodes we're actually talking about. He says, I guess my question is, how do you like episodes four through six compared to eps seven on where it finally gets more serialized? What carries them for you? For me, the friendly trio carried it, even if I did enjoy the princesses and, of course, whenever Catra showed up. So we see his favorite characters, but I think the crux of his question is, how do you feel about the format of the show? It starts off very princess of the day and then turns into sort of a mega arc in the latter half. And we're, we were good, destined to talk about this, so I guess let's just talk about it. Yeah, I think that this does come up at a good time. Um, I think predicated in Andres' question is that um, he had a harder time with the back half of the season. It seems like he's saying, if that's incorrect, I apologize. I, I felt the opposite, especially you heard me say last week that um, by episode six, I was, I don't know if the format or just the characters were wearing on me, but I was like, oh, not entrapped. This is so boring. And definitely by Princess Prom, which seems to be the critical darling, uh, the show just hooked me I couldn't stop like every episode ended on a cliffhanger and it was so compelling and these emotional arcs just strong episode to episode in a way that felt I don't know sophisticated is the word but it felt like what She-Ra has wanted and deserves and I love the back half of the season much much more than the first in fact yeah, you know, I can't personally say I like one half more than the other because I see why they're both important, but I very much gravitate toward the back half because it's delivering on what, for me, 80s She-Ra never quite delivered, which was an overarching lore and sort of a long-form conflict that doesn't even really resolve when the season ends. These characters, to me, have always deserved a longer story and a deeper fiction. Uh, and when you're kind of going episode by episode, new toy idea by new toy idea, we joked all the time in our first two seasons about how these great characters would get introduced and then would never show up again. And the latter half of Princesses of Power really has longevity and really honors this idea that every person who appears on screen and every point we make has meaning and it's going to stick and every question you have is going to get answered that's never been here before and that's what's great about this reboot what i think is wild is that we get to the end of the season and we still haven't even seen hordak fight yeah Um, the the whole arc of the first season is Adora and Catra's relationship, which in one sense is frustrating because like you want more, but it's also very dramatically tight and wonderful. And yeah, I'm definitely here for it. I will say what I enjoy about the first half of the season, just to give it its due. uh, Every episode in the Princess of the Week format really has a stylistic point of view. You know, that sort of hippy dippy nature focused episode versus the 
metal and tech and science of Entrapta's episode, I love the sort of tonal experimentation. And the tone is very uh, flat once we get into the mega arc. And so, you know, both halves have their place. It's kind of a cop-out answer, uh, but we like them both. Again, though, I think mine is Princess Prom, which is such a fascinating episode, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, we're almost there. I know. One more. My friend, Trevor A. Mueller, he has not been on the show before, but he is a very talented comic artist. He uh, is the creator of Albert the Alien, which is a children's comic, and it's actually coming to its close. And so if you are a listener with kids, I highly recommend Albert the Alien. And Trevor writes to us to just say, I'm three episodes into the show and digging it so far. I knew Netflix would make a good kids show with the more interesting and modern plot and characters, though. They have a good track record. That theme song, though. So Trevor seems to be on your team about the theme song. It's bad. (laughs) You know, I'm coming around to it. And I think it might be just sort of in a Stockholm Syndrome sort of way, but I am coming around to it. I mean, I I think, yeah, it's been in the background enough that I can accept it, but as a song, I still don't like it. And I think it would have been a stronger choice to actually just use the instrumental music. I think at our season three closer, because you are a musical person, we should try to perform a version of the song that we like. I think we should do it. Okay. That's a good challenge. Challenge accepted. Uh, I also want to shout out to Trevor. I didn't know you knew him, Lauren, but Trevor also wrote a wonderful textbook called Reading with Pictures which is about integrating comic books into classrooms, which I used a lot at my last job as comic book manager of Pastimes in Niles, Illinois. Wow, really? Uh, Yeah, it's wonderful. I I really believe in it, and I think Trevor's done a lot of great work. And uh, yeah, it's great. So Reading with Pictures is the name of that book. Thanks, Trevor, for all that you do. I guess I didn't realize it when I copied and pasted it, but this is Andres again, and he's just saying, your show is so good that I'm impatient at times for it. I selfishly wish you covered more than one episode, yet I completely understand why you cover only one. I actually retweeted this and responded to it already, but I recognize you're not all my Twitter followers, so I'm just going to kind of go over what I said again. We are basically doing one episode at a time, A, because there's so much to talk about. B, it maximizes the amount of guests we can have on the show. And C, it gives our show longevity because Netflix dropped an entire season at once. And we want our podcast to sort of slow burn and take up time and take up space, not knowing when the next season is going to be. So not only do we do just one episode at a time, But there are some episodes on the latter half of the Netflix season that are going to take up two episodes. We have so many good guests uh, in the hopper that we're going to talk more than once about specific episodes. So we hope you like She-Ra as much as we do. These dives are going to be deep. This is from Twitter user Pearl Hazuki, also known as Peg. And Peg is a wonderful fan. They write to us all the time. And I have many tweets from them that I could choose from. This is the one I chose to go with, though. It says, one of the things I just realized in Shira is how important Bo is from a representation standpoint. As a kid on the Winx forums, I met a lot of boys who admitted how hard it was to admit to IRL friends how much they like feminine shows like that. Uh, and so... 
the point of this is that little boys and I mean, I guess, frankly, little girls in our society are raised in a world, unfortunately, where the media kind of says this is the content that's for you and this is the content that's for you. This has been diminished somewhat as I grew up, but I grew up in the age of the pink Toys R Us aisles and the blue Toys R Us aisles. The fact that I wanted Johnny Quest action figures and Earthworm Jim action figures and that that meant my parents would have to shop in the blue aisles, that was very startling and very, you know, edgy for me as a kid. And it's just very sweet and reassuring to hear that a show like She-Ra can be addressing those people who maybe don't necessarily feel like they fit into gender roles so specifically and that they can see themselves in a show, a mainstream show, finally. I Yeah, I've talked before about how my mom wouldn't let me go buy She-Ra toys because they were in the girl aisle. And uh, that's some nonsense. So yeah, break it down. Crush the barriers, crush the patriarchy. Thank you, Peg. This message was an email. We are into the email pile from Katie Yutke. Katie is a friend of mine on Facebook. She's a friend of the show. We went to some of the same holiday parties together. I actually uh, gave her a Nightmare Before Christmas hat that I got that I didn't want, and I hope she wears anyway. Katie's also been in the Nerdalogs orbit for a while. She came out to my last Your Stories on Saturday. So thank you, Katie. That's uh, You're great. We appreciate you. Katie wrote to us uh, before the Netflix show even came out. And she had some concerns and some questions that have now been answered, and hopefully we can talk about them together. So she says, I've been binging this podcast, and it is a joy and a delight. Thank you, Katie. Regarding the new series, I have two hopes. Number one, if Bo is going to stay insecure and sexist, I hope he gets an arc similar to Sokka in Avatar, where he grows and evolves as he processes his trauma. So I'm a huge Avatar The Last Airbender fan. Uh, there was a very romantic evening I had in the past where my husband made four cocktails inspired by the four elements in Avatar, and I got so drunk that I couldn't remember uh, the end of the series, and I had to watch the finale again on another day. Uh, I own the whole series in several formats. I love it so much. Sokka is a great character because he starts out as comic relief, but uh, Katara, who is also in the Water Tribe, is an actual waterbender. And Sokka starts out the series clearly very insecure about the fact that he is a regular human being. He doesn't have bending powers. His sister does. And it's very easy for him to feel inferior and to turn that inferiority into humor and or like sarcasm or even bitterness toward Katara. Over the course of the series, he matures, he realizes his own talents, he sees what he can contribute and what the other types of benders can contribute, and he sort of recognizes everyone's role. As it turns out, Bo is a very Sokka-like character in the reboot, and Bo does end up becoming a big advocate for regular human beings in the rebellion contributing their own special skills. So I think the new version of Bo definitely was an improvement, is an improvement. He's one of our favorite characters. But maybe we should take a moment to really examine 80s Bo. 
I think that um, we had talked about this in, I remember Brian Duff's episode where we looked at uh, The Red Knight and uh, a couple other episodes, The Laughing Dragon, I believe. Um, Bo is just written so inconsistently that at times he's kind of a macho jerk and at other times he's a very sensitive boy. Um, In the hands of a more, I don't know, thoughtful um, story editor, I would see that as not an inconsistency, but rather as exploring facets of his personality. But I really think it was just that the writers in the filmation show didn't all have a super clear vision. Like we can probably look at what Dottilio and Straczynski wrote as really like the definitive bow because they wrote this um, series Bible. And that bow is kind of like an Errol Flynn um, macho man with a little bit of like bravado to cover up his. So I th- actually think this Seahawk that we get in this current series is probably the closest to classic Bo. Right. And the relationship that Seahawk, current Seahawk, has with current Bo does a lot of good to break down the problems with original Bo. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, number two is not a fandom I'm familiar with. I am a little too old. Oh, I could... That's funny because I can speak to this a little really? bit. Really? I love Christy Carlson Romano. Get it up. then. You do this one. I'll get Christy Carlson. Oh, that sounds bad. She's um, a very attractive woman who I think also has like a really awesome political career right now. Good for you, Christy. Anyway, Katie writes, I hope that Shadow Weaver and Hordak have a relationship sh- similar to Shigo and Draken in Kim Possible. She's competent and could conquer the world if she just got rid of her employer, but he's a good friend and easy to tease. Meanwhile, employer is semi-competent and has some good ideas, but his fatal flaw of putting all his eggs in one basket that happens to include a major weakness continues to be his downfall. I mean, I think she does a great job of recapping it, and I think that probably for the better, DreamWorks took Hordak in a much more sinister way where he actually like is very on top of it, and I think that what we see in season one of the show is that he just... Uh, he doesn't think much of the rebellion right now. He's very focused on like destroy the woods, get bright moon. That's it. And for personal reasons, shadow weaver and catcher are like, yeah, but you should pay attention to this. And he's like, no, it's fine. I think we'll see him in a Lex Luthery kind of way, come to pay attention to this woman who continues to be a thorn in his side. What's interesting is I think because of their conflicting priorities, at least in season one, both Hordak and Shadow Weaver could have been more effective without one another. They're sort of cannibalizing the same resources for opposing goals. Uh, Shadow Weaver blows a ton of time and energy on specifically getting Adora back that Hordak was hoping she would spend on, you know, conquering, hoard things. And, you know, the, the, the alternate is true as well. Shadow Weaver doesn't have the approval or the resources or the even just the brain power of Hordak for her own personal goals because she doesn't share them with him. I think we're going in a different direction with season two, but there are definitely some parallels that Katie points out. If they had just shaken each other, they could have maybe succeeded. Well, I love how, how it is so personal, especially for Shadow Weaver, and uh, we haven't gotten to her big kind of breakdown, which I know Lauren has feelings about, uh, as do I, but I, man, Shadow Weaver was my favorite character in the original and still continues to be, I I still have this feeling that like, it's similar to X-Men Evolutions Magneto where like 
the rest of the show can be goofy and light at times, but Shadow Weaver has this gravitas in every scene. Like, you don't fuck with Shadow Weaver. And there's some kind of missing motherhood. Like, how bad Lauren wants a goat, Shadow Weaver, I think, (laughs) wants Adora to be her child. And that's a really compelling backdrop for, I think, everything we see in the series. Yeah, we'll talk about it later, but I really hope Shadow Weaver loops back around there are really two ways her story could go and it could either be over now or it could be just beginning oh i think it's definitely the latter because you remember uh i might have creeped on twitter from time to time even though i just re-signed up for it um remember the um the writers were having a little jokes with hashtags like shadow weaver did nothing wrong (laughs) well we don't know what that means yet but I have thoughts about what it might mean, and I think we're going to explore those. Shadow Weaver did do nothing wrong. She only ever loved her children. No, that's bad. That's terrible. Well, yeah, I I don't know. If uh, if there is going to be a King Randor in the show, I think that the first person she did something she wronged was probably him. But we'll find out. Anyway, Katie says, uh, keep doing what you do. Haters stay mad. And... Yeah, I agree. I, uh, unrelated to Shira, was tweeting earlier this week about uh, GoFund the Wall, and just that hashtag is so lit up with scum right now that uh, Trumpsters and trolls and bots started responding to even my unrelated tweets, including my tweet about just wanting a goat instead of a baby, and. Twitter started like auto blocking or auto hiding those accounts and those tweets from me. Like those people were so abusive, so consistently across this channel that you don't even get a notification about them anymore. It's so wild. And so haters stay mad. You are spitting so much vitriol at this point that Twitter doesn't even let me know that you spoke to me. What I want to say about that, actually, and I, I can't imagine anyone would have gotten this deep into an episode if they hated our show, but I appreciate that, for the most part, people who don't like this show don't bother to reach out and say that. That's great. I honestly mean that because, like, we're all adults. If you don't like something, that's cool. Like, not everything's for everybody. Thank you for not bothering me and Lauren with it. Like, I respect that you don't like it, and that's fine. Uh, it It blows my mind that people will, like, tweet it you know, content creators, for lack of a better word, and say, oh, well, this wasn't funny. You could do this better. Like, I don't really need your opinions. Like, it's great that you like it. If you don't, thank you for um, not liking it as adults don't like things. Okay, now for the, um, despite what I just said, that if you don't like the show, you shouldn't talk to us. Um, There's such a thing as constructive criticism. And, you know, adults are also always trying to be better. So if if what you want to say is like, your show sucks, I don't care. If what you want to say is like, hey, I think you didn't do justice to this topic that matters to me, and here's a very thoughtful reason why, I think you have every right, and we encourage you to write in. And so one person did, a woman by the name of Ashley. So she wrote, and I don't say this to be snide, but just because I can't read it all, she wrote a a very long and thoughtful message, but I'm going to read a lot of it because I think it's important to address. Well, first, she starts off by saying how much she likes the show. So thank you for that. She says, there is one topic that I feel that you or at least the show seems to have a blind spot for. And it's the reason why I'm writing you now. That topic is veganism. 
go ahead, get your groans out now. Ashley's also very self-aware. Um, I was really excited to listen to the episode about the Unicorn King when you discussed animal rights, and I was disappointed that the topic of veganism didn't come up at all. I think it was a missed opportunity to explore a subject that is challenging for many and intersects with many of the issues you talk about on your show. She goes on to say, now this is long, but I feel like I have to read it all. The episode that really got to me and the reason why I was compelled to write this letter wasn't even about animal rights at all. In the episode about the minds of Mondor, Micah of Bright Moon, For Want of a Horse, Social Inequality and Property, our episode titles were way too long. Um, the topic of super privileged people not understanding the everyday reality that poor and underprivileged people experiences comes up, rightfully so. When your guest is relaying a story about Moby being obtuse on the topic of the food stamp program, they say, well, he's also a vegan, right? So it should only be for fruits, vegetables, beans, just vegan stuff, right? A vegan dude telling people what we should and shouldn't eat like we're all surprised, right? The comment is dripping with sarcasm and disdain for vegans, and you both just go along with it, possibly agreeing with them. Like, I get it, I've been a vegan for almost 11 years now, and I've developed a pretty thick skin because I'm pretty used to hearing these kinds of remarks, and much worse. I just didn't expect to hear it from your podcast, and it was a real punch in the gut. I felt betrayed, I suppose is the right sentiment. Obviously, I don't know you folks, but I like to imagine that if in some alternate universe, if we moved in the same circles, we would totally be friends, and we would geek out about She-Ra and all the kinds of great nerdy things. That probably makes me sound like a crazy person, but I swear I'm not stalking <laughs> you or weirdly obsessed. I just think you guys are super rad. Uh, anywho, I digress. The point is, it really kind of hurt to hear veganism being slandered from people who I trusted to be cool, nice, accepting people. Were Moby's comments totally out of touch with reality, demonstrating that he had no actual understanding of the problems people of the problems faced by the people using this program? Absolutely. Was the fact that he was vegan the reason why he's so disconnected, or was it because he's a privileged white dude? I think the latter. You don't need to be rich to be vegan. Pulses and grains are much cheaper than meat and dairy. I myself work two jobs in order to cope with my gigantic student loan debt. I acknowledge that food deserts are a real problem for the underprivileged, limiting access to fresh produce. I also don't think we should be dictating food choices to anybody. It would be morally painful to me if somebody took away my ability to choose vegan options, and I would not wish to take someone else's choice away from them. Do I wish everyone was vegan? Of course. But I don't think that forcing underprivileged people to eat a plant-based diet is an effective way of creating the broad social change necessary to cause humans to stop subjugating animals. Uh, then Ashley defines veganism, which I will read part of. Just in case there's any confusion, veganism is an ethical stance which believes that animals are sentient beings that have inherent rights, which is why vegans don't eat animals, animal products, or use animals for clothing, cosmetics, etc. This is not the same thing as a plant-based diet, which may or may not have anything to do with animal rights and may instead be rooted in health or environmentalism. Uh, finally, Ashley says, for some reason our society has decided that being super judgy and making standard remarks towards vegans is totally okay, and she is not happy with that or with our um, handling of that topic. And I think that's a totally fair comment. Yeah, first of all, we are sorry for sitting on this message for a really long time. It definitely started out as a literal mistake on our part of sort of forgetting about our email inbox and not checking it. This was one of several messages that we just didn't even know we had for weeks. We actually got invited to like a conference in the UK as well that we totally missed. Sorry, yeah, Lauren. oops, thanks for screwing me out of a vacation. I mean, it was just a Skype in, but still. Uh, okay, but 
we then, after receiving this message, still sat on it for a while. And so my first apology is going to be just for the fact that we didn't address this sooner. We hope, Ashley, that you're still out there listening and that our ignoring of this message didn't drive you away. Uh, but whether or not you're listening right now, uh, I think we should also uh, just apologize for not considering this point of view in the first place. We appreciate that you generally considered us really open-minded and progressive and cool nerds, and we definitely agree that uh, IR IRL, we'd probably be friends. But I fully admit that veganism and really, other than the fact that I'm lactose intolerant, any sort of alternative or progressive dietary choices are just a blind spot of mine. We haven't had a guest on our show about that, and I really wish we did. And I truly wish that we had caught that comment and considered that comment from the perspective of someone who has chosen this lifestyle and feels very strongly about it. That was a mistake on our part, and we are truly sorry. Yeah, definitely same as Lauren. Like, it's just not an area I really ever think about to my detriment, you know, and that's... Um, that's unfortunate and not at all to scapegoat or to make excuses, but I think that we all in our heads were dunking on a privileged white guy who's out of touch with reality. And it was our bad for not realizing that like veganism is not an acceptable way to convey that. So we definitely messed up. Right. Words matter. And whether or not we sort of felt like we're just making fun of Moby for the fact that. He's a celebrity with lots of money. The words that were actually said had a specific meaning and they were insensitive. And we appreciate that you brought that to our attention. And not only do we hope you accept our apology, but we hope that you're still listening and that you've enjoyed episodes after that one. Uh, and Lauren did uh, point out that, uh, so recently we talked to Michael Shirillo, who, I mean, he still eats animals, so this isn't quite veganism. <laughs> in, in any sense, not actually. at all. But. but he did talk a lot about the sustainability uh, uh, and ethics of like, uh, you know, I guess I don't know if plant because he ate crickets, you know, uh, of different dietary choices, which at least I think is a step towards us um, being more open and understanding about these things. Although clearly we still haven't really done justice to the idea of veganism. I recommend Michael's episode from the context of changing your relationship with food in general, recognizing the environmental impact that food has on our planet, and as just a sort of source of inspiration for knowing that a little bit of change in your diet, maybe you're not ready to be entirely vegan, maybe you're not entirely vegetarian. I know that for medical reasons, I personally cannot make those choices, but just the importance of thinking about it actively and knowing that as members of a society, what we eat affects our earth. It's so important. And we will be very careful to be uh, not only more respectful of that in the future, but just in general, um, when we listen back to our show, trying to think about perspectives and listeners who might have life experiences that are outside of the people that were in the room at that time. Right, because we all have biases, you know, and all of us, we're all on this journey of wokeness, but we all have a lot to learn. So um, if, if we did fail to do justice to something that matters to you, we encourage you to reach out. Uh, there's one more message we should read that maybe leads us to next week. So Fingers crossed. This episode kind of weirdly has a lot of threads in common. So when Lauren mentioned 
that I made this show because, well, first of all, we made this show. That can't be stated enough that it wouldn't exist without Lauren. Hey, man. But so nice. My idea for the show came about because no one was talking about this. Well, later on, Jacob Torbeck, the one who hates our cold opens, um, linked me to a blog whose privacy settings were so severe that I could not find it when I did my search that was talking about the exact same shit that we were even covering the same episodes. Um, but was I dated remember we looked at the dates because we were like, did this person rip us off? Did we accidentally rip off this person? And it looks more like the latter, except if you check my search history, you know I've never seen the blog. But she got there about six months before we did, which, again, it's not surprising. This stuff is all in the zeitgeist for someone to snatch. I knew we couldn't have been first. So there's a woman named Emily who runs a blog called The She-Ra Generation, she-ra-generation.wordpress.com. I think actually she just straight had it hidden for a while. When Jacob messaged it to me, he's like, oh, yeah, this was up for a while, and then it was gone, and now it's back. So I think we came in during the it was gone period. But Emily wrote, hi, guys, just recently found your podcast, and I'm finding it very interesting. <laughs> Uh-oh, she suspects. Uh, I grew up on She-Ra and rewatched the show when it came out on DVD about 10 years ago now. When Trump was elected, I started a blog about ethics, politics, and She-Ra, which is right along the lines of what your show is about. Anyway, I will keep listening, and I hope you check out my blog. You guys have inspired me to get back to it as I'm realizing I'm not the only one who has made this connection. Winky face. Take care, Emily. Uh, as long as we can make the scheduling work, we're going to have Emily on to talk about In the Shadow of Mystic Court next week. Yeah, I think that's great, not only because she's going to have so much to say about the political relevance of that episode, but also, you know, I come from the cosplay community, a community full of geeky gatekeepers, and I'm so thrilled that a person who on paper could be just like a direct competitor for us instead reached out and said, this is awesome, you're awesome, and we said, thanks, can we be awesome together? So the other person on the internet saying these things is about to join the team. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you read her analysis of book burning, it's like we just stole her whole shtick. We uh, swear <laughs> we did not. It's just there for people to find. It's just there. Thank you. Um, this was fun. We Seriously, even though I've been snide about certain things, I really we both appreciate you guys so much. Yeah, um, my Twitter, I don't think I said it out loud, is at Lauren Fates. That is L-A-U-R-E-N-F-A-I-T-S. Once again, E-R-I-C-C-G-A-R-N-E-A-U. Remember that middle C, because Eric's name ends with a C, and then there's another C, and that always screws with Eric me. Garneau. <laughs> um, we hope you have a wonderful holiday. Be safe. Get cool She-Ra stuff. I have four He-Man Christmas sweaters now. Thank you to the 80s tees closeout. I will be, uh, I mean, this will be airing later, but tomorrow I'm leaving for Tennessee. So I hope everyone listening to this... Uh, is listening to a person who didn't die in a terrible car accident because I have a lot of anxiety. This will be the longest I've ever driven my car by myself. I am very worried. Well, before you said that, I was going... This is my way of still saying what I wanted to say by couching it in before you said that. I was going to say that they already knew you were going to Tennessee because that's how our new theme song ends. And they'll hear it every episode. Oh, yeah. We're going <laughs> to use... No, please don't use that. Da, na, na, da, and I'm going to Tennessee. <laughs> da, da, da. You said to state facts, not facts that were eternally relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to your heart.
Thanks for listening to Shira, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.